Isn't it true that every day we have a choice to live the life that God has promised for us? And sometimes that choice is not always chosen or the, the decision that we make is not always the choice that God would see best for us. We, we usually tend to lean more on the side of, well, I want to live my life the way I want to live. And as we continue to do that, then we understand more and more that there are choices that God gives to us. And although we can make our own decisions, we don't always make the best decisions. I mean, we live in a world that are, is full of temptations. Uh, we have problems in our world. We go through ups and downs in our world. Uh, challenges come our way. In fact, Jesus addressed many challenges that we would face in our world over 2,000 years ago that we still deal with today. And so as we talk about how to come to Christ, we're going to learn from three biblical stories how to come to Christ because there, it's going to be a challenge coming to Christ. And although he accepts us exactly where we are and although he doesn't wait for us to get good or to become good to accept us, there is a way for us to come to him. And so we're going to learn from these three stories. One is these children when they came to Jesus. Another is what the Bible calls as a rich young ruler when he came to Jesus. And then the final person is a woman who came to Jesus. And although it will be a woman and it will be her story, uh, even as men, we can relate to it because we're all human beings. So you can take out your notes from your bulletin and you can follow along. The first thing we want to do when we come to Christ and how to do that is we, we must come to Christ with a, a genuineness to our hearts. In other words, come to Christ genuinely. Jesus uses little children to explain to us how to come to him and, and who, belong, who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. And he talks about these little children. In fact, the best example of being genuine are children. And that's who Jesus used as a model for being genuine. I mean, with children, what you see is what you get. You know, there's no faking it with children. You, you can read them pretty well. In fact, in the Bible, Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14, some children were brought to Jesus so that he might lay hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. The disciples says, no, uh, don't go to Jesus. You know, don't bother the teacher. Don't bother the Lord. Don't, don't uh, come near him because, you know, children can be messy. They can have a mind of their own. In fact, if the children get up before you do and they make themselves breakfast, which some of them have, you go into the kitchen, you see the milk all over the place, cereal all over the place. Uh, they try to make their own eggs and that doesn't work out. And it's a mess, but they're eating something. They just try to do what you do for them. And so children can be messy. So the disciples were saying, don't, don't uh, bother the teacher, the good teacher. Don't bother the Lord. But Jesus responds. And he says, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven, catch this, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I like how the book of Mark puts it, Mark 10, 13 and 14. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Like there was just this righteous anger or he was saying to the disciples, don't, don't treat them unfairly. He was indignant. And then he said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such 
as these. So he's using children as an example, which is pretty interesting. We think we need to come to Christ like adults with intellect, that we can, we can debate our way to God. We can think our way to God. And if we, if we can do the right things, then we can be accepted by God. And if we say the right things, then okay, we're good. If we say the wrong things, we're bad. If we do the right things, God will receive us. If we do the wrong things, he'll reject us. And so that's the intellect of an adult. But with children, they're just, it's, it, what you see is what you get. They're children. There's no hiding with children. Isn't it true that you, you know when your children are misbehaving, even though they may look good in front of you, uh, they could have chocolate all over their face, candy wrappers all over the place, and you can ask them, who did this? They'll say, not me. But you know it's them. It's kind of obvious. You know when they're happy. You know when they're sad. You know when they're hungry and when they need to change their diaper. You know these things just by how children are. The reaction that children give to us is so genuine. Even right now, children talking and the parents saying, shh. Adults don't do that in church, but children do. And our parents are like, be quiet. And the children are like, why, 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 why? Hey, there's Uncle Sheldon. Hi, Uncle. And children do that. My grandchildren, when they come into church, Papa. And the mom is like, shh, Papa. And they want to run on stage. So that's children. Adults, we, we're more intellectual. That, no, we don't want to be, you know, very proper. And, and that's fine in church and, and you know, being, having manners and all of that. But what Jesus was saying about children is they're just genuine even when they're misbehaving. They're genuinely bad. <laughs> they're just genuine. They don't, they, they don't have the motives yet. They don't, you know, not like adults. And Jesus used little children as the model of genuineness. That the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, we need to, I know, we need to grow up, yes, as adults, but we think growing up as adults is the way Jesus wants us to approach him. He says, no, no, no. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Not childish, childlike. There's just a genuineness about children. That's why every ministry in our church must always welcome children. Must. It is a must. If there is an individual person that says, oh, I don't want the youth around, I don't want the children around, they don't understand the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, yeah, but kids are messy, youth are messy. You were too. Adults are still messy. We still mess up. We still, we just know how to fake it. Children, they don't know how to. You hang around the youth long enough, you hear a couple colorful words. You hang around adults, you may hear one, and they may say, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. We just know how to hide things better. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to these little children. Children like this because they're genuine. And Jesus captures the crowd, people, because he said that statement. And so now the people are gathering and they're wondering, what is he talking about? How can the kingdom of heaven belong to, these, to, to children like this? In fact, it was such, a, a, such an odd thing to say that someone in the crowd, a, the rich young ruler, was there. And he was watching all of this and he noticed that Jesus was welcoming the children to him. And that wasn't, that wasn't normal for a so-called religious person who knew about the things of God, who was all about religion, to welcome little children. And Jesus says, no, you guys got to catch this. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, that genuine heart. So the rich young ruler comes up, and he's hearing all of this. And so he approaches Jesus. 
But he approaches Jesus as a good teacher. Here's the second thing we can learn in how to come to Christ. We, we come to Christ with humility. We come to him with humility, with that kind of humble spirit, that we don't come to him with, a, with just a, a pridefulness or an arrogance. This rich young ruler, he, he came to Jesus with, with kind of a humble heart. He, he came to him, but he came to him as a teacher, a good teacher. In Matthew chapter 19, I'll read from verses 16 through 22, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 19, and in verse 16, it says, Behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he's calling him good teacher. The only way you can be a good teacher is if you teach good. You can say the same thing, but if you're a horrible teacher, they're not going to call you a good teacher. So Jesus, yes, he was a good teacher. And so he, as a, being a good teacher, he leads this rich young ruler in a direction. He's, he's, he's helping him to learn. So Jesus says, well, why, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So Jesus is letting him know, here's here's." Here's what you're thinking. Now, being a good teacher, he's leading him. That's what good teachers do. They know the end result, so Jesus is leading him. He says, you've got to keep the commandments. And so the rich young ruler says, well, which ones? Because not only were there ten commandments, but they kept adding on commandment after commandment. And so he's saying, well, which ones? So Jesus says, well, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's almost like, okay, these are the easy ones. Because some of us say that, well, at least I'm not, you know, I'm not a murderer. I'm not, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not like so-and-so. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. So Jesus gives them a list. It's just a short list of saying, here's, if you want to measure to anything, here's what you measure by. So the, the young man says to him, all of these things I have kept since my youth. So the crowd is around watching this, and it's like, oh, such a perfect person living amongst us. So he says this. What do I still lack? You know, Jesus, I did all, I did all that. Yeah, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. Yeah, I got some moolah, but I'm doing good. What else do I lack? So it's almost like he's putting Jesus on the hot seat. What else do I lack? And so Jesus, it's like Jesus pulls out the, like the, the final weapon. He goes, um, if you want to be perfect, then go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. So I'm thinking, okay, if this rich young ruler has it all, you know, he has money, he has everything, he can do all the other things because he's so-called secure in his finances. And so Jesus says, that which you're secure in, if you want to be perfect, then get rid of all of that. Go sell all of that. Give it away to the poor and then follow me. And so now he has to make a decision. I mean, what would you do? Because it's easy for us to say, I can do this, I can do that, I can do that. We can do the easy things. But then there's that one thing that Jesus is asking us to do and we may be just like this rich young ruler. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You would think, oh, I am in the presence of Jesus. I leave his presence. I should be happy. No, this guy was sorrowful. He was sad. 
I mean, how many times we come to church, we hear the word of God, we leave sad because I know I'm not doing that. And we choose not to. But it's interesting, Jesus still loved him. And so now he's walking away sad. Jesus told him about the commandments. And I thought, why would you, why would you talk about the commandments? You're talking to a rich young ruler. And it wasn't about being rich or poor. Jesus was addressing this specific situation at this specific time with this specific person because that's what this man struggled with. And it may be different for you and I. It may be something else. This rich rich young ruler wanted eternal life, but he thought he was going to get it by being good. And so Jesus says, no, it's not going to be from you being good. In fact, it's your wealth that's holding you back from following me. That's the one thing that you lack. That's what is holding you back. It's your riches. You're so in love with what you have that your wealth and your your religious views will never be able to provide what I can provide for you. It wasn't about rich or poor. It was about what he was hanging on to that was so precious to him. What Jesus was letting everyone know is rich people struggle the same as you poor people. It's kind of like Jesus leveled the playing field and he says, okay, yeah, you may think, oh, it's so good to be rich, but he still struggles too. In fact, nowadays, you know, some of us would say, no, if I had more money, I'd be set. And, and that may be true for a little bit. But a recent study was given for uh, those who were $25 million uh, wealthy and over, those who are worth $25 million and over. So they did a survey with 1,000 of those who are $25 million and over. But only 120 participated in the survey, which kind of proved that even being rich, you may have a difficult time doing some sociological experiment like that and finding the time for it. So only 120 people participated. Out of the 120, they found in this one area about money that the rich had a hard time with their friends. They didn't know who would be their friends or did they want something from them or if they knew how much money they actually had, would they still be friends or if they didn't have money, would they still want to be a part of their circle or would they be cut off? So they worry about that all the time. And then you had some that had to deal with uh, being a part of gift giving and especially this time of year, gift giving that it was hard for them because when it came to gift giving, people always expected an expensive gift. So even if they gave them an expensive gift, let's just say a gift of $1,000 or $2,000, the people would receive it and say, oh, thank you, this is so good. But you know, last year you gave me a car. And so then the rich always deal with this. I mean, yeah, we may not be that rich, but sometimes we say the same thing. We may not say it verbally, but we feel it in our heart. Like, wow, boss, you gave us a bonus of 10 grand last year. This year only dollar. So we still play that. It may not be a lot of money, but we still play that. Or someone gives us a gift, and it's like, oh, last year you gave me this. What, hard times. We still feel that. So it's not about, it's not about being rich or poor. There's a principle there. And then when it came to... Uh, having those, those, uh, the, the financial part of it, one person said this, in being 25 million or over, I don't know where he fit on this scale, but he said, 
I will not feel, feel financially secure unless I have $1 billion in the bank. $1 billion. Some of us are like, after I do my bills, if I get anything, I'm good. I can eat. I can do something. But what Jesus was addressing wasn't rich or poor. He was saying everyone struggles. Everyone has something that they struggle with. And for this man, it was his wealth. That's what was difficult for him. He had difficulties, never could make the tough decision that would release him to come to Christ. In Mark 10, 17, it says, For this rich young ruler, as he was going out on the road, he came running, knelt before him, knelt before Jesus, and said to him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And when this rich young ruler approached Jesus, this act of kneeling as a rich person was not common. So he came with some humility, but he was looking for a different answer from Jesus. And I think many of us do that. We come to Christ, but we don't come with humility. We come expecting a certain answer. Like, Jesus, what do you say about this? Well, this is what I say in my word. Okay, let's find another scripture. Or we go to someone as, as a believer and maybe for some advice, hey, what do you think? You know, you go to church. Some people would say that to you. You know, you go to church. You're a Christian. What does God say about this? Well, he says this, this, and this. Ah, I don't believe that. Well, so what do you want? Well, I just want to know what God wants me to do. I don't know what God wants you to do, but if you look for yourself, he can tell you. Go to his word. No, I tried a word of God, but no work. What do you mean no work? Yeah, every time I read the word of God, something bad happens. Something bad going to happen even when you don't read the word of God. We live in a bad world. But what Jesus was saying to the rich young ruler was, you got to come to me with a humble heart because sometimes I'll speak something to you that you will not want to hear. You just don't want to hear it. So he did. He came to Jesus as best as he could with as, as, as much humility as he could. Jesus gives him instructions, but he left sad because he didn't follow the instructions. It was a difficult decision for him to make. Jesus gave the rich young ruler the commandments, not so that he could say, well, look at how bad I am. No, the, the Ten Commandments is actually our, our moral mirror. It lets us know where we stand. But it's not to say you are bad. The commandments are there to say that I can never be perfect. Jesus came to let us know how much he loves us in our imperfections. That's why he came. That's why we can come to Christ with humility because we're safe in his arms. We're okay with the Lord. Everything he does in our life has a good reason for. Everything he does, there is a purpose for. And sometimes we don't see it in the beginning, but Jesus sees everything from beginning to end. And he was teaching this rich young ruler that this is what's holding you up. For some of us, it may be drugs that's holding us up from following the Lord or an addiction of some kind. It could be pride or arrogance. It could be anything, but something that is there that's holding us back from giving it all to Jesus, surrendering it all to him, and then following him. Something's hold, something is holding us back. And that's what Jesus was addressing. The principle that Jesus gives to this rich young ruler is that he wants to be Lord of our life. That's what Romans 10, 13 tells us. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, not the name of the good teacher, the name of the Lord. In other words, Jesus wants to be Lord of our life. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why he's called the Savior. 
He wants to save us. That's why he came to this earth in human form over 2,000 years ago. God with us. God became a man so that he could relate to mankind. So that when we come to him with humility, he's right there with us. He understands us. He doesn't wait for us to become good. He is already good. God doesn't need any more goodness to come his way. He is already good. We, are, we want to be good because we love God. We do good deeds because we love God. We don't do good deeds to get to heaven. That's what he was telling the rich young ruler. You're not going to, no good deed that you do will get you good enough or make you good enough to come into heaven. I'm already good. So if you just focus on coming to me, I'll, I'll work with you. You come to me just as you are, I'll, I'll work with you. But the rich young ruler couldn't catch that because he was trying to be good on his own. And Jesus says, then you're not going to be able to understand the kingdom of God. Because Matthew 6.21 tells us, for where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. This man was distracted by his wealth because that's what he treasured. Here's the question, what distracts you and I? What is in our life right now that distracts us from coming to Christ? I'm going to continue to read in Matthew 19, verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But when the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? If, if, if it's hard for that rich man to get into heaven, then who can be saved? And it's almost like Jesus was saying, oh, good question. I'm glad you asked. And so he gives them this answer in our notes. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at him and said to them, with men, this is impossible. It's impossible. But let's read this part together because I want us to catch this and, and kind of set it in our hearts it's impossible we can change this scripture. Okay, you have your notes. You can read it from your notes. This next part, you ready? Wait, let's just read. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. So imagine now the rich young ruler, he's there and he's trying to bargain with the Lord. And Jesus is like, okay, yeah, you're on your own with that perspective. You got to get away from your intellect. and Go back to Godliness, faith. That yes, you're trying it like this, that's impossible. You're trying to do everything perfect. You're trying to do everything on your own, impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What about my marriage? It's not working out. You're trying to do it your way. Do it my way. It's going to be possible. I can make it work out. My family is falling apart. Yeah, because you're trying it on your own. No, we go to church. Yeah, you may go to church, but you got to be the church. You got to be who I made you to be. Not try to change everyone. Be who I made you to be. You got to come to me with humility because when I give you things to do, instruction, it's for your good. Even in your no goodness. And whatever it is, it's going to be impossible here, but it's going to be possible with me. 
I can help you in that area. And whatever it would be. And that's what Jesus was trying to say to this rich young ruler. That it's not about the wealthy or the poor because being wealthy is not a sin. Disobedience to God, however, that is. So Jesus was saying, you're comparing yourself to the wrong thing. You come to me because it's in my arms and I'm going to take good care of you. It is impossible, Jesus was saying, to get into the kingdom of heaven through self-effort of any kind. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, like little children. Then he continues, and this is where it gets a little uh, behind the scenes with the disciples. Peter, one of the disciples, answered and said to Jesus, well, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? It had to be Peter to kind of go to Jesus and say, okay, you're talking to this rich young ruler. Now, he walked away sad, and you're saying, so you're, you're not going to get anything because you're trying everything on your own. He said to come to you like little children. We left everything, Lord. I mean, look, see, we don't have anything. We left it all for you. So what are we going to get out of this? Almost sounds like he should get lickings from Jesus, right? It sounds like that, like your kids come to you, Dad, what I can get? What you can get? So Jesus loves them still, and he said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel. So he's speaking to his disciples, and now he addresses everyone else like us. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife, or I'm going to explain that one, or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So Jesus is giving his kingdom principles. And earlier in the scripture, they were asking him about the resurrection and marriage and who, whose husband will, will uh, this wife have in heaven. And if she was married seven times and goes to heaven, are all of them her husband? I mean, that's, that's a train wreck right there. So how are you going to deal with this? And Jesus says, you're misunderstanding the scriptures. Marriage is for here on this earth, not in heaven. So you're not going to be married in heaven. Some of you are smiling. That's not good. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but for now, you're married. So that's where it's at. But he's saying, no, you're misunderstanding the scriptures. What I'm saying is when you're able to follow me and you're making me priority, that you leave all these things for my sake, this is your reward. And when Jesus says that, now the disciples are thinking, okay, so we, we need to obey him here so that when we get there, all of our heart's desires that we would always want here on this earth will be waiting for us in heaven. See, our loved ones that go before us, we miss them, especially this time of year. But imagine all of their heart's desires, everything that they ever wanted here on this earth is now complete in heaven being with Jesus Christ. We can't give them that. Only Jesus can give them that. That's the hope of the Savior that's how we come to him with that kind of humble heart. You will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life when you do these things for my name's sake, when you give up these things for my name's sake. As a believer, our life doesn't end with death. In fact, death begins our eternal life. And here's the last thing for us to understand when we come to Christ. 
come to Christ heart first. Heart first. Now I'm going to be in the book of Luke. You can turn there, Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. Luke chapter 7. And this story, although it's a woman, we're all going to be able to relate to this story. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And I'll read to verse 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with them. And a Pharisee was a teacher of the religious law. So he knew about the ways of God. He knew about the commandments. He knew about the Messiah that was to come. And in this case, Jesus was the Messiah. But they didn't, they did, they didn't see it that way. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city, her name was Mary, who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them and the fragrant, uh, with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. He said, there was a certain, debt, a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. But then he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, this Pharisee, he says, You know, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. And in the custom in those days when a guest came into your house, your servant would wash their feet or you would wash their feet. But in this case, the Pharisee had a servant and would wash his feet. The Pharisee did that on purpose as if to say to Jesus, you're not even worthy for my lowest servant to wash your feet. And so this is a big deal. And Jesus says, you didn't even wash my feet. Like I wasn't even worthy to be taken care of from your lowest servants. But this woman... She washes my feet with her hair. You did not anoint me. Did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. This woman, when she came in, in fact, the woman's hair the Bible says, was her glory. She took down her hair and washed his feet as if to say, my praise is unto you. My glory does not match yours. I come to you with heart first. And I'm not even worthy to be in your presence with my glory. I lay aside my glory to give you praise. I praise you with the best that I got everything that I have. And she did that. And she knelt down. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
And those who were sitting around the table began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? But then he said to this woman, your faith has saved you. And then he said to her, go in peace. Go in peace. The rich young ruler left sad because he had much but didn't want to give it up. This woman brings in her, her little jar of perfume, oil, which was worth a year's wages. That's all she had. She gave everything that she had. And even, even wiped his feet with her hair, noticing that no one did that for Jesus. And she didn't have a pail. She didn't have a bucket of water or a rag, but she used what she had. In fact, preparing Jesus for his burial. Jesus knowing, I'm not going to be anointed with oil, but she's doing this to prepare me for my burial. And she leaves the presence of Jesus Christ in peace. See, the alabaster box was, it held something so valuable, but was not valuable unless it was broken, unless it was poured out. And that's what she did. She poured it out as an offering to him, and as long as it stayed in the container, it did not benefit one person. Listen, you and I are like that alabaster box. That there's so much precious treasure inside all of us, but unless we offer it up to God, it stays there. And it's like Mary teaches us, when we come to God, when we come to Christ, come to him heart first. And Mary did what she could, wasn't concerned about what she couldn't do. She couldn't stop Jesus from going to the grave. She could not stop him from being beaten. She could not stop him from being nailed to the cross. She could not stop those who ridiculed him and mocked him. But she could do what she could do. As, she, as, as Philippians 3, 8 and 9 puts it, and this is what she felt, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It is said that worship is the act of sacrificially giving to Jesus something that is most precious to us. What is most precious to you? What do you hold that is value to you? That Jesus would say, if only. Because the question is, what is Jesus worth to you? Because for Mary, he was worth everything she had.
As she made her way to Jesus, she stumbles through the tears and made her felt such pain some spoke in anger heard folks whisper there's no place here for her kind still on she came through the shame that flushed her face until at last she knelt before his feet and though she spoke no words, everything she said was heard. As she poured a love for the master from her box of alabaster. And I've come to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and dry them with my hair. You weren't there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his love all around me. You don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. I can't forget the way life used to be. I was a prisoner to the sin that had me bound. I spent my days, poured my life without measure to a little treasure box I thought I'd found. Until the day when Jesus came to me and healed my soul with the wonder of his touch. And now I'm giving back to him all the praise he's worthy of I've been forgiven and that's why I love him so much and I've come to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and dry them with my hair, my hair. You were there the night Jesus found me. You did not feel what I felt when you wrapped his loving arms around me. The cost of the oil. Oh, you don't know the cost of my praise. 
that's the love of God. What you feel is, is the Savior's gentle touch of love. And when you come to Christ, he, he, he does that. We cannot be good enough to come to him. He's already good. He's already good. So come to Christ today. Even as a believer, you might be thinking, but I, I know Jesus Christ. But sometimes we don't come to him. We go to other things, but come to Christ. Would you bow your heads with me as we conclude? Lord, this morning, that's our choice today, Lord. We come to you. It's not about a church thing, Lord. It's really, it's really coming to you. It's a relationship with you. So, Lord, I, I pray that for some, today might be their very first time actually saying, I want you to be my Savior. In fact, if that's you today and you're saying, I, I want to give Jesus my heart. I want this relationship with him. I just don't know how to. I, I, I know I'm not good enough. But for some reason, I feel a tug on my heart. And that tug on your heart is because God is saying, he is already good. And he loves you even when you don't feel good. And in that process, he brings out the good. And if you're here today and you're saying, I, I want to pray, I want to give my heart to Jesus, would you just lift a hand real, just real briefly just so that I can see it and we can pray together. I'll lead you in a prayer. Good. God sees your hand. God bless you. Hold, hold those hands up. And you're just letting your flesh know, your, your human nature know that this is my spirit now. My spirit is saying, I want Jesus into my heart. Good. Yeah, God bless you. God sees you. Yeah, God sees you right here. He sees you. He knows your heart. He knows everything about you from beginning to end all the way into eternity. You can put your hands down. How many of us as Christians, we don't turn to Christ all the time. We don't come to him for whatever reason. Sometimes we just don't think we need to. Maybe because we have a good relationship with him. But maybe our heart today is, Lord, I just want to come closer to you. And if that's you, as a believer, you're saying, I want to come close to you, Lord. Would you just lift a hand? And you're saying, I want to be right in your presence. Yeah, that's all of us, Lord. You can put your hands down. Lord, that's our response to you. Let's pray this prayer together, especially for those that are receiving Jesus for the first time. You can repeat after me, but add the heart into it. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness and your love. Wash me clean. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Lord, that's our prayer today. And for all of us, our, our prayer, not just to be one with you, but even for this season, Lord, that we celebrate your birth. We don't celebrate the day. We celebrate you. And so with everything that we are, we offer our life as our sacrifice to you, our, our living sacrifice, our praise to you, our thankfulness to you, that you would help us, that when we come to you, we come to you like little children, genuinely, with humility and a heart first. You're such a good God, Lord. And we give you all praise, glory, and honor for who you are. And thank you for loving us just as we are. 
and bringing us to a place that you see us to be. You're such a good father. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. And we all said amen, amen.